if you mix these three ingredients, high interest rate, commercial property and office buildings, low occupancy rates, and $2.8 trillion in commercial loans coming due for refinancing in the next three to four years, you get loans that won't be paid back and banks holding those loans that would be running out of cash fast. The real estate sector is killing the banks again. We saw a glimpse of this situation last week. New York Community Bank Corp reported a surprise $252 million earning losses and $552 million in loan losses, a 790% jump in loan losses compared to the previous quarter. Today, I walk you through what's happening with these banks and the commercial real estate market so you understand the context. Also, I reveal interesting investment opportunities and two stocks to consider buying now to take advantage of the overall panic around the commercial real estate sector and regional banks. Let's talk about them. I'm Hoda Mer, founder and CEO of Stockcard, a fintech startup from California that helps you do your fundamental stock market research better and faster. On this show, I share fascinating money and investing stories like today's episode to help you invest better. If you are new here, join us by subscribing. First, let's discuss what's happening. New York Community Bank stock fell almost 60% in the last few days after Moody's dropped its credit rating to junk. The company also had a miserable quarterly earnings report with surprising earnings loss, loan losses associated with two apartment and office building loans, and a 70% cut of its dividends. It's a perfect storm for one company, but a giant signal for the broader regional banking and real estate market. Let's step back and understand the context behind this situation. There are three types of banks based on their asset size in the United States. Community banks have less than $10 billion in assets. Regional banks go as high as $100 billion in assets. And anything more than that is a large financial institution. The smaller and regional banks specialize in small business lending and local community development. If you are a real estate developer or a property owner, you'll be better served by regional banks. Here's Jill Castilla, CEO of Citizen Bank of Edmond on the Bloomberg Surveillance Show, explaining the advantages of regional banks in local markets. It goes back to relationships. And I think whenever we look at having 4,000 plus banks in the United States, it's a great strength for us, um, both in having a bank in your location. If you're in rural um, areas, you may not have access to a bank if you have consolidation. I'm in a suburban area with over 50, 60 banks in a 100,000 person town, but there's relevancy for a small bank because we're the ones you know, sponsoring the, the football stadium and the little league games and, and we put on a big street festival to revitalize our downtown. There's social capital there that you don't find in larger institutions and, and you see it even represented in TV or movies, um, just how important a, a bank can be. These local banks understand the local market better and can better assess the risk associated with a specific property. 
what Jill explains makes sense. According to Goldman Sachs economist, 80% of the commercial real estate loans in the US are held by smaller regional banks. Hold that piece of information aside for a few minutes. Now let's talk about commercial real estate and office buildings. To understand the scale of this market, commercial real estate is a $25 trillion market in the US. That's 10 times bigger than $2.5 trillion residential market in the US. Commercial real estate includes office buildings, hospitals, warehouses, retail stores, manufacturing facilities, large residential buildings, etc. Office buildings are a big part of this market and represent 16 to 17% of the industry. Let's hold this second piece of information aside again and discuss the third ingredient in the commercial real estate loan situation. Commercial real estates are rarely bought or developed by paying cash. And here is something about these loans that I learned from Howard Marks, co-founder of Oak Tree Capital. Most bankruptcies don't occur because you have a business and it loses money, loses money, loses money, goes away. It occurs because it, a business borrows money, times get tough, and when it goes to refinance that loan, nobody ever repays their debts. They just refinance it. And when they go to the bank to refinance it, the bank says, you're not as good a credit as you used to be, or we don't have as much money to lend as we used to have, or our standards are higher. So it's, it, it really comes from most, uh, most bankruptcies or defaults are associated with a maturity which is unmet. Nobody ever repays their commercial loan. They just refinance it. Commercial real estate investors typically refinance their loans to get a longer term or a longer amortization schedule and increase their monthly cash flow. Or if they hold a term loan and the loan is coming due, they refinance the loan instead of repaying it. $2.8 trillion of commercial loans will come due between 2024 and 2028, and many were issued when the interest rate was low. When they get refinanced, they will face a significantly higher interest rate and monthly payments. The question is, can they afford higher payments? If a developer or an investor owns an office building, it may generate less revenue than before due to work from home or hybrid home office working models post COVID. They are collecting less rent than before. As a result, chances are they won't be able to afford a higher interest rate for their loans and they may even default on their loan. Now let's bring it all together. Regional banks own 80% of commercial real estate loans in the United States. A giant portion of commercial real estate loans are coming due in the next three to four years. Most of these loans are expected to be refinanced as is customary in the commercial lending market. No one ever pays back their commercial loan, they refinance it. On the other hand, office buildings are 17% of the commercial real estate market. The demand for office buildings and therefore the associated rent income is lower than it used to be thanks to the work from home and hybrid work models after the COVID era. Some properties have lost a significant portion of their value because there isn't enough demand. And with the higher interest rates, the new borrowing cost is much higher than what developers and real estate investors are used to and can afford. 
these borrowers may be unable to afford higher monthly interest payments and what they owe may be higher than their property's value. Banks holding such loans may end up with either revenue loss or bad loans that can never be paid back. That has happened with two properties at New York Community Bank recently, causing the stock to lose 60% of its value. I've heard somewhere that banking problems are like cockroaches. There is never only one of them. It's fair to assume more banks will collapse due to similar bad loans in the next few quarters and years. Things get scary when the world collapse comes before banks or retail sectors. The important question is whether more regional bank failures due to commercial real estate challenges will have a broader impact on the economy. The broader risk of regional bank failure is that businesses that depend on these regional banks for funding and growth will lose access to funding and bank. However, there is a reason regional banks are not in the so-called too big to fail category. There are more than 4,000 small and regional banks in the US. If a few fail, it won't be a systematic risk to the broader economy. Moreover, these bad commercial loans are not coming due simultaneously and the problems are easier to anticipate. Just because we're talking about them now, it means there is an expectation in the overall financial system that some banks would fail. The last point is that not all regional banks are exposed to troubled commercial real estate and specifically office buildings. Here's Jill Castilla again explaining how many regional banks are on top of their game when it comes to commercial real estate. I think relationship bankers that have intimate knowledge of their, their borrowers and that have been disciplined through this, this last five, 10 years are not going to see the type of weakness in the commercial real estate market that, that others are anticipating. I think those that have more distance from their borrowers or, or outside the banking system, I think that's where it has a vulnerability. Lots of regional impacts as well. So large urban centers with large multi-tenant buildings have more susceptibility to some of these um, this weakness and higher interest rates and, and potential vacancy issues, then maybe smaller smaller type of commercial real estate that maybe office occupied still, but that the lender knew this borrower and was able to structure appropriately low LTVs, focusing on debt service coverage for the last few years. Those types of lenders are going to come out okay. Before we move to stocks you may consider investing in now to benefit from the regional bank challenges, I want to warn you that there is still risk to the broader economy due to this commercial real estate and high interest rate cost. As they say, risk is what's left after you've thought about everything. Today, we thought about possible ways the real estate sector may impact banks and concluded it would be manageable for the broader economy. But there is always the risk of us not seeing other dependencies in the broader economy. Be mindful of the unforeseen risks always. If not all regional banks are doomed because they have done a good job at their due diligence. And similarly, if not all commercial real estate and specifically office buildings are in trouble, this means there are investment opportunities for all of us at a reasonable price in the commercial real estate market. Luckily, stock market investors don't need to buy commercial real estate to benefit from the market opportunities. We can find the right fund or a real estate investment trust, REIT, that is reasonably priced or even undervalued.
Kathy Marcus, Global Chief Operating Officer of PGM Real Estate Investment Fund with $208 billion in asset under management, gives us some clues into such commercial real estate investment opportunities in her conversation with Barry Ritholtz on the Masters of Business show. So right now I'm going to talk about traditional office, not about medical office or, mm -hmm. or um, lab science, but in the traditional office space, we're not investing in a tremendous amount of office right now. Like everyone else, we're in a little bit of a wait and see. We have an existing office portfolio that we're dealing with. And, you know, I'm sitting here in your Bloomberg office and it's a buzzing hive of lots of people. Right. There are many office buildings you could walk into in any city around the world where that would not be the case. So this is clearly a class A building. And when we look at other class A buildings on Park Avenue, they seem to be fairly, you know, 75, 80 percent buzzing. I, I don't mm -hmm. even want to say occupied. Right. Um, but once you drop to the Class B buildings, it's a whole different story. How do you think about the different quality of real estate investing? And is that reflected in their prices yet? So in particular in office, you know, there are going to be winners and losers. And the winners are going to be, I wouldn't even say just A, not all the A inventory is really going to be a winner. You have oh, to be really? kind of a high a high A. You have to be an A that isn't just an A because of its location. It's an A because it also has ESG attributes. It has wellness attributes. It has things that draw employees back to the office and make them want to be there. And it, you have to, in these days, when, when I was young, the office was shelter and a place where people could make sure you worked all day. Mm -hmm. Now the office is, it has to be better than your home or people are not going to come. So here in your office, there's lots of free food and free snacks, and it's nice and bright, and there's lots of vibrant and smart people walking around. That's a draw. But if you're in an old office building without great light, you have low ceilings, you have no amenities, you don't have a lot of wellness attributes to your building, you're not near public transportation, you're going to have a hard time attracting people to come to your office, particularly younger people. Why do these Class A office buildings work? First, we have many companies that are back to the in-person model, and a bigger portion of companies allow a hybrid model. In both cases, companies use their office quality to attract talent and employees into in-person collaboration. This means only a certain type of office buildings will be in demand. That means REITs focusing on Class A buildings may offer interesting investment opportunities. I searched for office REITs on our company's website, stockart.io, and a few names grabbed my attention. Alexandria Real Estate Equities, ticker ARE, is one good example. It focuses on Class A office buildings in the life sciences sector. According to financial analysts, this stock has more than 13% upside compared to its current price and pays more than 4% in dividends. Boston Properties, ticker BXP, is another one. This REIT focuses on premium Class A offices in Boston, New York, San Francisco, and Washington, D.C., with more than 11% upside, according to financial analysts, and 6.2% in dividends. Consider researching those REITs as a part of your investment portfolio. Talking about good stocks to buy now, last week I discussed how to find quality stocks at a reasonable price and shared a few stocks to buy now following such an investment methodology. If you missed it, watching and listening to it now is a great idea. I leave a link to it in the show notes. I'll see you next time.